Welcome to the Intoxicated Podcast. My name is Matt Salis, and I thank you for listening today. In this episode, we are going to cover the topics for week five of the Shout Sobriety Program. For those of you in the Shout Sobriety Program, uh, we'll get right to it in just a second, but let me explain for those that aren't familiar with the Shout Sobriety Program. Maybe you're a regular Intoxicated Podcast listener, or you navigated your way through the web to our podcast and you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, the Shout Sobriety Program is a six-week online course that we offer to help people through early sobriety, the really, really tough part where you've made the commitment to stop drinking alcohol, but you don't have the tools in place to make that attempt at sobriety successful. That's what we're trying to help help with. And it's based on my experiences in early sobriety. It's all the the things that I wish were available to me in one place that I that, that weren't available and I had to kind of pull them together and figure it out through many failed attempts at sobriety. So that's what Shout Sobriety is all about. Um, it's it's open to anyone to join who who you know thinks that they could benefit from it and who seems to be a fit, whose story is sufficiently similar to mine that, that maybe my techniques could work to help them find permanent sobriety. We offer it for free. We just don't believe that people should have to pay for freedom, and that's what sobriety is. It's freedom. So the way that we fund the program is through donations from people in the addiction community, the addiction recovery community, who feel strongly about the importance of sobriety and want to help support the program. So whether if you'd like some more information, whether you'd like to donate or whether you'd like to learn more about the program and perhaps enroll yourself, these are all things you can do at shoutsobriety.com. And we'd appreciate you checking us out there. Now in the meantime, let's move on to the topics for Shout Sobriety Week 5. Today we're going to talk about family and intimate relationships. And the reason that we highlight this topic and the reason that I consider it to be so very important for our sobriety is because what we're going to talk about, these are the people who really have influence over us. Our relationships with them are important. And these are the, the people who have the ability to really make or break our sobriety in certain ways. That's not to say that if you can't work things out with your loved ones in your lives and they don't understand what you're doing and they don't understand the disease of alcoholism, that you can't be successful in sobriety. Certainly you can. Absolutely you can. But if we improve our relationships with these folks through our sobriety, it, it just makes it all the more easy. And frankly, for, for most of us, one of the reasons that we get sober, certainly it's to alleviate the pain that we're suffering, but a big part of that pain is because of the broken relationships in our lives. So fixing them, repairing, whether it's, whether it's family or close friends or people with whom we have an intimate relationship Repairing those relationships is just wildly helpful and important to um, to being successful in sobriety. So let me just kind of define terms. As we go along, when I'm talking about family, I'm primarily, certainly in my case, talking about you know my parents, my sister, my, my grandparents were influential, 
and my own children. And when I talk about intimate relationships, for me, that's my wife. Now, when you're thinking about how this applies to your situation, you can certainly substitute. Family might be a close friend. You might not be married. You might have struggled with intimate relationships through your drinking and that you know think think about the relationships you've had and try to fit them into the the stories that I'm telling about about my life it it you might be really close with an uncle you might you might have just a a buddy at work that's your your closest friendship and that's that's the person you're going to relate to as we talk about the importance of family and intimate relationships and how those relationships affect our sobriety when I was in early sobriety, I went through a period where I was really angry with my parents. And the reasons for my anger, first of all, alcohol had been part of my life since the day I was born. I've mentioned this before, but my father is a daily drinker. He has a couple gin and tonics in the evening and beers on the weekends and sometimes wine with dinner. Now, my father is is not what I would consider an alcoholic. Uh, I, I certainly there's some level of addiction there because it's a, a daily habit that he never misses, but he doesn't drink to excess. So you know, define that however you want to, but that's that's the situation. He drinks every day, but I've actually only twice in my life can I think of times where I saw him have too much to drink. So uh, daily drinker, and, and that was in the household growing up. My grandfather also was a drinker every time we would vacation and visit my grandparents. Uh, every time it was relaxation with the family time, we could count on my grandfather and, and aunts and uncles, other members of the families as well, to have a beer in their hand. That was just part of it. So that was part of the anger that I felt in early sobriety toward my parents. They had introduced me to this thing that had almost killed me. But the other part was, you know, I'll re- I remember a story. I remember a time when I was maybe six months sober and I was talking to my mom on the phone and she said, Matt, what could we have done? What could we have done? And I said, you know, what do you mean? I needed a little more clarity. And she said, what could we have done to help you get help sooner? And that really, honestly, that upset me quite a bit when I heard her say that because th- what what I needed for my parents wasn't for them to help me get help sooner once I was already a full-blown active alcoholic. What I needed for my parents was to teach me about the dangers of alcohol and warn me uh, about what could be coming down the road when I was a kid. The same kind of lessons that we got in school and we got from our parents back in the 80s about staying away from drugs and being afraid of drugs. I needed that kind of message as it relates to the most widespread and readily available drug there is, which is alcohol. And that wasn't available to me. So I went through a period of anger, resentment. My writing reflected it. In my writing, I was um, kind of passive aggressive toward my parents sometimes. My father more than anything because he was the drinker. My mom drinks now, but she didn't when I was being raised. So... I took a while to work through that. And I think that's important for people in the Shout Sobriety program to understand. Here I am, I'm talking about 
the value of being out and open about recovery. And I'm talking about shouting about our recovery and let's help other people find hope and, and find sobriety. And in doing so, we strengthen our own sobriety. And and it's great to, to talk openly about it. And that's true. Every single bit of it's true. But it took me a long time to get there. I went through, I don't know how long it took me to kind of come to grips with my true feelings for my parents. But let's call it six months. It, it was a it was a good long period. And so I don't want anyone to think that uh, if you've got some angst for how your your alcoholism developed, how your your relationship with alcohol started at a young age, that I'm expecting you to move right past that and skip the steps. I'm not. There there are steps involved. You have to reconcile it with your family. In my case, it, about a year ago, we had a sit down, our whole family, and it was awful, frankly. Everyone was coming from different directions. There was some accusing going back and forth. Certainly, I was accusing my parents of of starting me off on the wrong path with alcohol and there was some defensiveness. It just it was a bad conversation. And it took a while through multiple conversations, understanding of each other's positions, understanding of the disease of alcohol, learning, researching, understanding about brain chemistry, trying to figure it out and trying to be open to each other's point of view. It took a while before uh, my family relationships, and in this case I'm talking about my parents specifically, my sister also, I'll talk about that in a second. But it took us a while to to reconcile and move forward in a positive way. I'm at a point now where I don't blame my parents. I don't at all. I still wish that they had educated me to the dangers of alcohol. I wish they hadn't made it seem so inevitable that every adult drinks, and that's part of being an adult, that's part of being a man, that's part of being successful. I wish they hadn't portrayed it the way they did. But what I've come to realize is they didn't know any better. Nothing that they did was evil. My parents are very, very loving people. And they just passed on the relationship with alcohol that that they had learned, more or less. I mentioned that my mom didn't drink. I think I think all along that my mom was not a fan necessarily of my dad's daily drinking, but it was certainly accepted in my family. There was no pushback. Um, but it's it had been passed down generation to generation. My my parents, you know, were products of their society and their culture, just like I'm a product of my society and my culture. And as we all know, drinking is so widely available, widely accepted, expected in many circumstances, just considered a perk of adulthood. And that's why my dad drank on a daily basis. He'd work a long, you know, 10-hour day and come home and and have a couple cocktails. Uh, when you say it like that, it sounds normal and, and you can't imagine why there would be anything wrong with it. So I don't, I no longer blame my parents. All the anger is gone. It again, it took me a while to work it out, but I, I have done so and I I feel really good about my relationship with my parents. So that that's that's the relationship with my parents. My relationship with my sister is good now too, I think. We live a long way away from each other. We both have big families and we're both really busy and we frankly don't talk very often. I wish we talked more often than we do. But 
such as life. Early on when uh, I was going through the anger for my parents, I wrote uh, a blog piece about how I don't feel like I owe an apology to anyone other than my immediate family. And by my immediate family, I mean my wife and my children that I'm responsible for. And for the most part, I still feel that way. I was fortunate I didn't hurt anyone while behind the wheel when I shouldn't have been. Uh, I never hit anybody. I, I never caused any physical pain or any financial damage to anybody. So I really feel like I don't owe anyone an apology other than my immediate family. And my sister responded telling me about the hurt that she felt and the times that she was around me when I was drinking too much and I got loud and obnoxious and the couple of times that I got mean toward her. And she was really upset with the fact that I didn't feel like I owed her an apology. So she and I had to work through that. And and I feel like I feel like we have. I hope that she has a better understanding that I view alcoholism as a disease and it was something that had hijacked my brain. And if I was speaking to her in a mean way or being insulting, that wasn't my true feelings coming out because the alcohol had freed my true feelings. It was the opposite of that. It was some kind of pent-up anger that the alcohol was spewing through my system and making me say things that I don't believe. This is a really important point. Everyone thinks alcohol is a truth serum. And it is to a certain to a certain degree. It's just like how when we drink, we feel that buzz and it feels really good before we drink too much and we're drunk and we're a mess and we are numb and we black out. That doesn't feel good. That part doesn't feel good. Just the buzz at the beginning does. And I feel that way about when we talk about alcohol being a truth serum. It does loosen people up. It frees us up to say things that we otherwise wouldn't or that we're hiding or that are supposed to be kept a secret. But that only goes so far. As we drink more and we get drunk and the alcohol takes control, we start to say angry, mean things that we don't we don't believe in our hearts. I don't. I never, when I, when I would argue with my wife and say awful things to her, that isn't how I truly felt. I was just in a really bad place. Um, my brain was, you know, basically under the control of alcohol and I was doing and saying things that I would later regret. So I've, I've had to, and I don't know that I've done a good enough job. I need to keep working on it. I need to convince my sister that when I was in those bad places, that wasn't me, and that that's just a side effect of the disease, and it's awful. And I do feel bad for her suffering and for the things I've said, but as we've spoken about in the past, just like she's a victim of my alcoholism, so am I. And that that wasn't coming from the heart. That wasn't truly my feelings. That We were both suffering from the disease of alcoholism. Um, again, I'm just going to quickly reiterate, I do, even though that's how I feel about alcoholism and I don't believe we should turn it into a big amends tour where we go around apologizing for pe- to people, I do believe we have to own the consequences of our disease. And if that means we've wrecked a car or we've punched somebody in the face or we've gone to jail, we have to deal with those consequences. Those are on us. We can't, we can't excuse them away behind the shield of alcoholism. But if what we have are hurt feelings from uh, words that were not really meant and weren't in our hearts, it's in those cases, I believe, it's helpful for both parties, the person who said it and the person who was on the receiving end, to understand that 
that's coming from a dark place that alcohol leads us to and that it's not it's not us so again I, I think my relationship with my sister is better and probably I could still stand to do some more work to make sure that she and I are on the same page it's a it's a continuing process I want to talk a little bit about my grandfather he, my family is Greek and we call my grandfather Papu and I love my Papu very much he passed away a few years ago and I always looked up to him and he owned his own business as I did so I just I really kind of emulated him and wanted to be like him and he drank every day and when we would see my papu it would be vacation time and it would be very festive I mean when families get together for vacation it's always festive and there was lots of beer involved he was a beer drinker pretty much only beer and toward the end of his life he developed gout which is a really painful disease that affects his it was mostly in his in his toes or in his fingers and it it involves swelling I guess I shouldn't speak to the details because I don't fully understand it but it's a really painful joint thing and his doctor tied it to beer so he had to stop drinking beer toward the end of his life and he did he was my grandfather was a marine and he was the toughest man I've ever known and when the doctor said to to alleviate your pain you've got to stop drinking beer he did just cold turkey had drank beer every day for as long as I've known him and then just nothing just like that but the other thing that I noticed toward the end of his life was when I would talk to him on the phone or on the couple of times that we were able to see him I live 2,000 miles away from my grandfather toward the end of his life but when we would get to see him or when I talked to him on the phone he was depressed now There's a lot of things that we can attribute that to. His wife passed away a couple of years before he did, so he was sad. The love of his life was gone. I totally get that. Um, As his health was declining, he was in pain. He had a tumor in his shoulder that he had to deal with that was very painful. So that would be a cause for depression too. But as I've learned more and more about the disease of alcoholism, I can't help but believe that part of the reason he was depressed was because... The thing, we've talked about how brain chemistry works, the thing that he had that triggered the reward system, his neurotransmitters, his dopamine, to make him feel pleasure, when he stopped drinking, the dopamine stopped being released, and he had a long way to go for his brain to to come back to normal and start to release dopamine and let him feel pleasure for normal, everyday, pleasurable things. And it was only a couple years at the end of his life when he didn't drink. And I just don't think his brain chemistry, his wiring ever improved. So when he was really sad toward the end of his life, again, I know that his wife had passed away a couple of years before him. My yaya, we were all very sad about that. But but he was certainly way more effective than anybody else in the family. And I know that he was dealing with pain. But I also think that Part of his depression was because of, I mean, he never called himself an alcoholic, but he started drinking beer at nine o'clock in the morning most days in his retirement. So, I mean, again, alcoholism is a self-diagnosis, so only he can know for sure, but he certainly had a lot of the, the signs and symptoms of alcoholism. And one of those is the depression at the end of his life. And when I've 
talked about this. I've talked very little. I haven't had the nerve to talk very much about this with my family, but I have written about it and my family has read it. Um, I don't get any any feeling, any sense that anyone else in my family, uncles, cousins, my parents, anyone that knows Papu and loves Papu the way I, I do, any of them agree with my sentiment that some of the depression toward the end of his life was a result of his weaning himself off of alcohol. And that's tough for me. The more I learn about the disease, the the more I want other people to understand it too so that we can have these kinds of discussions and commiserate and and think about what our papu went through at the end of his life. The the other area of the family that I'd like to talk about is my kids. I view my children, I have four children, I view my relationship with my kids completely differently than I view my relationship with my parents, my sister, aunts and uncles, my my grandparents. They are my responsibility. It's my job to raise them. So I think my wife and I did a pretty good job during my active alcoholism of keeping it away from my kids. I think when we sat down one day and we tried to identify times that my drinking affected them, I think we came up with a list of five specific times. When I drank too much, my wife and I argued, we were too loud, we woke up the kids, and they were involved. Um, and that's heartbreaking for me. It's heartbreaking for me to talk about it right now. It's embarrassing, but more than that, I'm not so worried about being embarrassed. I'm worried about the effect that I had on my children. So we've spent extensive time talking to them and apologizing and uh, explaining what was going on and listening to their feelings and letting them express themselves and trying to repair the damage that was done on those five instances where my addiction affected my children. Certainly there are some other subtle things. They might have seen me moping around on a Sunday night or they might have found me asleep at an odd time when it doesn't seem like dad should be asleep in the chair right now. So I I do totally recognize that there are other effects uh, that the children of an, an alcoholic have to deal with. But as far as really kind of impactful things that that we can we can describe the situation and remember in specific terms what happened. There are those five times, and I'll never forgive myself for those things. I again because I feel like my relationship is different when I talk about my children than other family members because of my responsibility and my wife's responsibility for them. All we can do, besides having worked through the specific issues is try to put them in a good place as it relates to their relationship with alcohol. I don't have any kind of notion that my children will never drink. I I fully expect that they will drink alcohol, or some there's four of them, at least some of them will at some point. But what I really want to do is set them up for a successful relationship because I want them to have factual knowledge of what they're up against. In other words, I want them to understand that alcohol is a drug just like any other and it's scary and it's dangerous and it's highly, highly addictive and they have genetic traits that could lead to their alcoholism and they've got a family history of drinking, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. They've just got a family history of lots of drinking and that 
culturally, it's going to be all around them. My oldest is two years from heading off to college. I guess technically less than two years from heading off to college. And it's going to be all around her when she gets there. And I just want them to be prepared to make the best decisions possible, to understand what they're up against, um, know that my wife and I will always be a resource for them and that there are other resources out there for them as it relates to their relationship with alcohol. So I do apologize to my children. I do feel like it's a requirement of mine to set them up for success as they turn from little pre-adults to adults. And I always want to be here for them. And so I feel like when I talk about family, that relationship is different. That's that's one where I, I owe my kids everything. And um, I want to do the best job I can of preparing them for the future. The other relationship I want to talk about is the intimate relationships. So in my case, my relationship with my wife. This is another area where I do believe I owe amends. I do believe I owe apologies. My wife and I made a commitment to each other to work together in every possible way, in love, in finances, in child raising. We, you know, our lives basically, two lives became one. I'm not trying to turn into a Hallmark card here, but when I have said things that were awful during my act of alcoholism, <clears throat> pardon me, I I do feel like I owe an apology to my wife for things like that that I've done. I I do owe her amends. We we were bonded together, and because of my addiction, things things sometimes didn't go well. Here's the big, confusing and difficult and counterintuitive thing about alcohol and intimate relationships. When I stopped drinking, I assumed that would fix everything in my marriage. There, there, Sherry, I stopped drinking. The alcohol's gone. That's been been what's causing the problem, so now everything's fine. And that is just not how it works, not by a long shot. All we do when we remove alcohol from our relationships is make it so that we can work on the relationships. Think of alcohol like a big brick wall that's between you and whatever relationship you want to work on or you want to to see be better. Tearing down the wall doesn't fix anything. All it does is give you access to the relationship and, and the problems that are there and allow you to roll up your sleeves and work on them. One of the reasons that relationships, marriages, and other intimate relationships often end after surviving alcoholism, they end in sobriety, and this is very, very common. I don't have statistics. I don't know that there are statistics. There probably are. But it's really, really common for a relationship to survive alcoholism and then for it not to be able to survive sobriety. One of the reasons is the relationship is built on chaos. You have years and decades of learning to deal with each other while the alcohol is there in spite of all the problems that the alcohol is causing. And when you remove it, the roles change in the relationship. So just to use my relationship as an example, my wife got pretty good at at dealing with me drinking. She got pretty used to not trying to talk about anything serious late in the evening because she knew I'd have alcohol in my system. She got pretty good at just kind of going with the flow when I'd been drinking. And if she had something serious that she wanted to talk about, uh, something that dealt with the kids, disciplining the kids or 
or trying to give advice to the kids. She would wait for times when I wasn't drinking to have those conversations. She learned, I've written, and I've gotten a lot of feedback on this this term. I, I say that my wife learned how to not put chum in the water when the, the sharks were swimming around. So she was used to managing the chaos. And when the alcohol went away, the roles change. She doesn't have anything to manage anymore. She's no longer trying to tiptoe around me. She's no longer trying to pick and choose her times to have discussions. And likewise, you know, my role is completely different. I'm I'm like a different human being. I don't know what to do with myself when I don't have alcohol in my system at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. So that is one of the reasons that relationships so often fail in sobriety, not not in alcoholism. And I have really good friends. There's actually a podcast episode um, on this Untoxicated podcast that talks about relationships failing in sobriety. And it's an interview we did with a good friend of mine named Simone who her and her husband both drank and drank heavily. And then when she sobered up, they ended up, their relationship ended in divorce. And it's heart-wrenching. These are hard stories to hear and hard stories to understand. One thing I do like to recommend, there, there's actually a movie uh, that I recommend called When a Man Loves a Woman. In my humble opinion, having watched all the movies about alcoholism that I could get my hands on, this one's the best. And it portrays the relationship between a man and a wife where the wife is the alcoholic and when she sobers up, the husband who is used to picking up the pieces of the relationship when she drinks, there's no picking up of the pieces for him to do. And he he feels kind of lost and he has resentment. And likewise, the the wife's entire life has changed. And so her the way she interacts with her husband is different. And at the end of the movie, they're, they're talking, but there's no happy ending. There's no guarantee that this relationship is going to reconcile. And the movie just kind of leaves you wondering. It's an excellent film. And the stars are Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia, who are two of my favorites. And they just do a really good job portraying what happens to a relationship in recovery from alcoholism. And, you know, we can hope for a happy ending. We can do the work for a happy ending. But a happy ending is is far from guaranteed. So as you move through early sobriety and you work on all the things that are involved, repairing your brain chemistry, changing your nutrition plan so it helps with repairing your brain chemistry, being patient with yourself, understanding who the victims are, all the things that we talk about in the Shout Sobriety program. This is a big one. And it's it's just super important that you understand that your relationships aren't just going to be fixed simply by removing alcohol from the situation. You've got to have the conversations. And I know, I know that that's really, really hard for people. I mean, alcoholism is the disease of shame. And when you're afflicted with a disease of shame, you get really good at hiding the truth from people, at lying and denying and just trying to be your private little self while you battle your demons. So the idea of talking about it with your spouse or your your, your other significant other, your other intimate relationship, and then the other family members that are important to you and that you want to see the relationships be strong you want them to thrive you want to repair the damage it's really really hard and it it starts with talking it starts with an understanding of what the disease of alcoholism is all about 
but then honoring the feelings that we all have. Um, I know when I had that first conversation with my parents and my, my sister about, hey, let me explain to you what I've learned about alcoholism. At one point, my dad called me a know-it-all. He was hurt. He was upset at what I had done with my life and and how alcohol had hijacked my life and caused all these problems in the family. And he didn't want to hear about brain chemistry and nutrition and all the things I had learned. He was still hurting at that point. And that's okay. I, I didn't understand at the time. I wasn't very respectful of it that night. But we've got to, it's kind of like the grieving process. We've got to give ourselves and our family members time to go through the process of dealing with alcoholism in the best way we can. And some of that is going to involve anger. And just like I got resentful and angry at my parents, I think my dad was pretty angry that night. Now he bounced back from it quickly. I'll give him credit. He really did. And, and we got back to the process of working on our relationship. But the idea that our loved ones are going to feel resentment and anger as a part of this process shouldn't surprise any of us. It's painful. It's an awful thing to go through, not only for us, the afflicted, but for the loved ones who are around us. And repairing the relationships and getting things back going the right direction is so important because we're talking about people that have, for years and decades, been cornerstones in our lives. And we want those relationships to be strong and fruitful, but we've got to be patient and understand that there's going to be bumps in the road as we move along. So I have experienced a lot of those bumps in the road. I continue to. I've still got work to do. My relationship with my wife is so much better now than it used to be. We're going to continue on our series of podcast episodes here on the Intoxicated Podcast. Sherry and I, two more episodes we have to record about our relationship. So far, the one that's up on the Intoxicated Podcast is about the time when I was actively drinking and it's heart-wrenching. There's a lot of tears involved. The message is is strong. Even, you know, I, I lived it, but when I listen to my wife talk about it, it, it brings a lot of emotions up in me, and I recommend listening to it. And then we're going to record two more that'll be up sometime after this. This will be episode 15. This Shout Sobriety Program Week 5 is episode 15. So... Later in the series, you'll be able to find the two more episodes where my wife and I talk about our relationship. We're going to talk about our relationship and recovery first and how difficult the repair work was. And then we're going to talk about our intimate relationship, which is really difficult, to, especially for my wife. It's hard for me too, but alcoholism ruins the intimacy in the relationship. That's not to say that we never had sex. It just wasn't... It wasn't it wasn't the kind of sex that a husband and wife are supposed to have. And again, a lot of damage there. And the two of us are going to talk about it together because we, we think it'll be f- to the benefit of others. And we we hope to help people manage, manage their situation as they recover from alcoholism. So a lot of pain here. Don't, don't run away from it. It's part of it. It's, it's got to be worked through. It's got to be absorbed. We can't just keep pushing it down. We, we gave up the thing that we used to push it down way deep inside, right? We don't drink anymore, so it's time to deal with all the emotions. Difficult subject, but I encourage you to spend the time that it deserves and work through it because we're talking about relationships that are important to all of us. Thank you for listening to 
my story of my relationships with my family and my my relationship with my wife. Um, I hope that you find something here that, that allows you to roll up your sleeves and work on the important relationships in your life. For week five of the Shout Sobriety Program and for the Intoxicated Podcast, I thank you for listening and we'll talk to you down the road.